Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to Buckeye Breakdown. Buckeye's now on Sports Illustrated, your home for Ohio State football. I'm Brendan Gulick, and we've got a special guest this afternoon as we go behind enemy lines, getting ready for Ohio State and Notre Dame on Saturday. It's Brian Driscoll, who is the terrific publisher and all things uh, you need for Notre Dame football over on Irish Breakdown, our uh, partner over on Fan Nation's uh, Notre Dame site. Brian's done a terrific job covering Notre Dame well longer than uh, than just being associated with Sports Illustrated. I, I consider Brian to be uh, the fountain of knowledge. So, uh, Brian, when it comes to Notre Dame football, people come your way and they want to know intel, and we're going to try to give our uh, our listeners here in Buckeye country everything that they need to get ready for this weekend's game. How's that for an intro? Is that good enough? I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, unless you just want to assume that Notre Dame stinks and you're getting ready to play Indiana Purdue, then – you know, yeah, we can do it, but uh, I think it's going to be a great game, and there's a, a reason Notre Dame is ranked number five, and hopefully, for Notre Dame's sake, that we'll find out why that is on Saturday night. Why don't we start with some of the overarching, um, you know, storylines in the game from Notre Dame's perspective? Because I think we've probably talked ad nauseum on the Ohio State side of things on on what this game means and all of the stuff coming into it. Hundredth year in the shoe. Obviously, there are coaching ties on both sides of this. There's there's you know, a, a ton of fans that live in the same geographic footprint that are split between Ohio State and Notre Dame. And obviously there's fans uh, for, for uh, Michigan. You know, it, it almost feels like this game is almost for supremacy of, of this part of the country and has a huge impact on recruiting going forward as well. Just give me your thoughts and what Notre Dame's, you know, fans' impressions are of, of uh, you know, what this game means to them. I mean, there's a million different storylines, right? I mean, that's what makes this game so intriguing. You know, Notre Dame's current head coach is getting ready to truly kick off his tenure. The bowl game was, to me, not really Marcus Freeman's first actual game in regard to, you know, does he have his full staff in place? You get a full – it's his first game, but you have a full offseason to prepare your team the way you want. Or are you just kind of cleaning up what Brian Kelly started, right, with that football team? You know, first game, he's an Ohio State alum. You've got James Laronitis is at Notre Dame, you know, as, as, as a graduate assistant getting his coaching career. Two former all Big Ten linebackers. Coach Freeman was a guy that had over 100 tackles, his, I think, his last year. James Laronitis was an All-American. I mean, there's that storyline. There's the battle for Midwestern supremacy that you talk about. I mean, with all due respect to Michigan and their one-and-a-half titles since the end of World War II, you know, <laughs> the two best teams in the North for the last 50 years, predominantly, traditionally – however you want to describe it or Ohio state, Notre Dame. Right. And, you know, right now Notre Dame has been in a period where they're chasing Ohio state. There's been periods in the past where Ohio state was chasing Notre Dame. And that's what makes this game fun. And there's just the lack of, of opportunities to see this game 
you know, this is the first regular season game between these two teams, two teams since 1996. So there's a lot of storylines, but I think the overarching one for Notre Dame fans is kind of twofold. It's it, it obviously the Marcus Freeman aspect to it, but look, why are you a 17 and a half point underdog? And there's a lot of feeling of disrespect in that regard. And I wrote an article the other day saying, Hey, it is disrespectful that the number five team in the country is going on the road. And I don't care who they're playing. And they're a 17 and a half point underdog, but respect is earned. So is disrespect at times. And when your resume in the last 12 years is that of a team whose head coach went three and 16, against teams that finished ranked in the top 10 and you have games like, you know, like, uh, you know, yes, there's the Florida state game and they had two competitive games against Georgia, but there's also Miami in 2017, Michigan in 2019. There's the ACC title game where, you know, you, your great regular season win over Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, without Tyler Davis, without Mike Jones gets erased because you got destroyed in the, in the ACC title game, 34 to 10 in a game where you were the last team to score. And then, you know, you go into the playoff that, you know, a few weeks later, you play Alabama, you lose 31 to 14, but it was a game where it wasn't that close. Bama took their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter and Notre Dame scored last. Go back all the way to the BCS championship game. And it just kind of happened time and time and time again, you know, where Notre Dame looks like they're ready to go turn the corner and then bam, they play a top 10 team and they get smacked in the mouth. And that's where this 17 and a half point line came from because Notre Dame has earned that lack of faith that they're going to step into a game like this and show up and be competitive and potentially pull off an upset. And that's really the storyline is, okay, is Marcus Freeman going to turn that corner? There's two ways to do it, Brendan. One is, you know, battle them for 60 minutes the way they did Georgia in 2019 when they were a 16 and a half point underdog to Georgia. End of that game in Athens, Notre Dame gets the ball at the 48-yard line with a minute 50 left, down six with a chance to go win it. They didn't get it done, but they earned people's respect that game. Of course, that respect was all lost about a month and a half later when they went to Ann Arbor and lost by 31, right? And so that's the kind of you know sl- slow turn they could start to make. And of course, the hard turn around the corner is to win this game. And that's what the storyline is for Notre Dame. I mean, all those other things are, are really interesting and fun sort of side stories, but the big one is, is Notre Dame going to get back to being what they were in their glory years, which is a team you did not want to play? You know, I I made this point the other day. Brian Kelly in his 12 years in Notre Dame won three games against teams that finished in the top 10. Lou Holtz won seven games against teams in the top 10 in 88 and 89 combined, Right over from 88 to 93, they won, I think, 14 games. That's a six years, 14 games against teams that finished ranked in the top 10. And that's what Notre Dame fans want to get back to. But it's been a long time since they've been that team. And that's what they're hoping that Marcus Freeman can restore at Notre Dame. So I guess the 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 roundabout way of getting there, because the the fun thing with college football is that it's the insanity of you almost start over every year. Sure. Uh, Ryan day finally has a quarterback that he's bringing back with experience. Like, you know, Ohio state fans are like, wow, this, this must be really nice. I can't wait to see what that might look like. But the idea that, you know, you, you've got a new roster, you've got a new team. You, you think, you know what you have with some, ple- uh, some players, you think there's some other pieces that might fit into your puzzle a certain way. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. That's kind of the fun of all of this. Right. Um, College football is awesome because of the tradition and the history and the passion associated with it. But when you look at individual matchups, 
all of that other stuff doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, it's like it feeds into the narrative. But when you play the game, it's irrelevant. So, <laughs> so why could this Notre Dame team, maybe with all the narrative you know, oh. the last however many years of them not being able to win many big games, why could this team, do you think, be the one to, to help change that narrative? I just love that you said that because I was listening to a show where some Ohio State people were talking about the 1996 game and how somehow that's how this game's going to play out. And I'm like, dude, these two teams are very different from what they were last year, much less what they were in 1996. Most of really weren't born in 96. I know, right? Like, it's whatever. <laughs> so I appreciate you saying that. I think there's a few things that give are going to give Notre Dame an opportunity. If Notre Dame is competitive in this game, and then let's say Notre Dame is able to pull off the upset in this game, there's going to be a few reasons why when you look at this team. Number one, Notre Dame is expected to be very good in the trenches. At the end of the day, you know, we can look back at the 88 Notre Dame team and the 1993 Notre Dame team. And in 88, you know, they had Todd Light, who was a top five NFL draft pick at corner. They had Pat Terrell, who was a Long-time NFL player, Rocket Ismail, most explosive player in the country. Ricky Waters, their running back depth chart was so loaded in 1988 that they had to move Ricky Waters to receiver. You know, like that. But but what if you go back and look at that team, what made that team great is they could beat you up in the trenches. Same thing for the 89 team. Same thing for the 93 team. And when Notre Dame has been good in past years, whether it's 2012, 2015, 2017, you know, when they – 2018, especially on defense – when they're really good, it's because they're really good in the trenches. Last year, they weren't good in the trenches on one side of the ball. They were good on the other side of the ball. They had a couple great players, a couple guys that were just nice, steady, try-hard guys. But they weren't good on the offensive line, and we saw that in some of the big games. And, and Notre Dame was a – I mean, Brandon, you and I talked about this during the season last year. Notre Dame went 11-1, and but it was a – it was an underwhelming 11 and one because they beat a, a grand total of zero teams that finished the year ranked in the top 25, you know, whereas you look at like the, the 2017 team that went 10 and three, that team played eight teams that finished the year ranked in the top 25. Like that 10 and three is more impressive than the 11 and two of last year because of the quality of the victories. And so they were able to out talent people last year. You're not out talenting Ohio state. You got to beat them up in the trenches. And it's one of those things where when Notre Dame was great, it's one of the things you may beat them, but you're going to limp away from that fight because it is going to be a fight for 60 minutes. And I think that's the first thing that you look at and say, this team is expected to be really good in the trenches and, and they do have speed and all those kind of things, but they've got to be good there. And then the second thing is this is the first time in several years, Notre Dame actually has a chance to have a dynamic playmaker quarterback. And, and I like to use this analogy, Brendan, which one of these things is not like the other? 2018 starting quarterbacks in the college football playoff, Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, Tua Tungavaloa, Ian Book. 2020 college start, uh, college football playoff starting quarterbacks, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Ian Book. One of these things is not like the other. Yep. And Notre Dame thinks that Tyler Buckner can be that sort of gap closer at quarterback. He's going to have to be if Notre Dame is going to have a chance to win this football game, you're not going to win 17, 14 in a defensive struggle. That's just, I don't see that happening. No, I, I don't either. Um, and I'm glad you brought Tyler up because I, I kind of want to direct the conversation that way a little bit. You know, it feels like I don't care if it's the NFL or college football, high school football, peewee football, whatever. If you don't have a guy at quarterback, it's tough. You can win, but it's really tough. 
look, look at you, somebody. You need like, something like I don't know, fifteen draft picks on your starting yeah. lineup, like you know, like like Georgia had last year. You know, yeah. you're right. You need or, something or really Iowa, special. You know, look at the right. Iowa Hawkeyes. I mean, their defense right. was elite. Their special teams was great. They never really had a chance, in my opinion, to make a run at a college football playoff spot, even though technically if they'd have won the Big Ten title, they probably could have gotten in. Right. But they would have gotten destroyed. Their yeah. offense kind of stinks, you know. Yeah. It's and it's I'm not trying to be offensive, but they they just weren't sure. They consistently weren't good. Um so to your point, one of these things is not like the other these last few years. I know we haven't seen Tyler play yet, and I'm not asking you to be Mr. Prognosticator, but what is it about his skill set or his intelligence or or maybe the way if you've seen him interact with his teammates? Is there something tangible, not just pie in the sky hope, Mm -hmm. that Notre Dame fans or that you are holding on to and saying like, no, I, I think this actually could be the guy to maybe turn our tides a little bit? Well, it's talent, right? At the end of the day, it's talent. And and. You know, there's the the Mac Joneses will come along every now and then. Guys that aren't necessarily physically elite, but have incredible football minds. But for the most part, what are the what have the quarterbacks we talked about had? If you go back in 2019, the year in between when Notre Dame didn't make the playoff, I mean, who were the starting quarterbacks in the playoff that year? It was Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and uh, Jalen Hurts, right? Who's the closest thing to Ian Book that anybody had? But what happened to Oklahoma in that game? They got absolutely obliterated. It's not Jalen Hurts' fault. He, he he didn't give up 49 points in the first half, but you get the point that I'm making, right? And, and and so it's it's talent. Those guys were all talented, whether they had great passers, great runners, dual threat guys. And I think when you look at Tyler Buckner, there's talent there. You know, there's a kid that number one is a dynamic athlete. This is a kid that is a junior in high school, rushed for over 1,600 yards and 28 touchdowns, I think in like 13 or 14 games. This is a kid that, that, you know, Notre Dame didn't necessarily, like people say, well, you know, Notre Dame, you know, he was a runner. Well, that's what they used him for last year because that's, it was a thing where he was so dynamic in practice. They were like, how can we justify having a kid that athletic sitting on the bench? Now he's not ready to be the full-time starting quarterback. So let's find a role for him. And that just happened to be his role was to come in and, and be an impact runner. He averaged about eight yards a carry on, on runs out. You take sacks away and just look at his runs. He was around eight yards a carry. He was over seven, even with sacks on there, you know, but then there's the part that this kid's a good thrower. The year that he rushed for 1600 yards, Brennan, he also threw for 4,474 yards and 58 touchdowns. So he's not just a one dimensional player. He's a kid that shows great anticipation. He shows a high football IQ. He's a guy that knows how to throw receivers open things that Ian book could not do. Ian book was one of those guys that I need to see him open, then throw it. You and I both know when you get into good, you can do that against Navy and, you know, Stanford when they're bad and New Mexico and Duke and teams like that, but you can't do that against North, you know, against Clemson and Alabama and Georgia and teams like that. And Tyler shows that in practice. He's shown that in a spring game, his first spring game, he didn't play this year's, but the year before now he needs to go show it in, you know, in front of 105,000 people, but it's that combination of just elite physical tools with a kid that's shown to be a really smart player that gives Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame coaches optimism like they, if this kid can be on Saturdays, what he is, you know, Monday to Friday, you know, we might have a chance to have something special here. Now it's, it's a, it, it's a lot similar to what Ohio state fans were talking about last year, right? Like why was there optimism about a quarterback who had literally never thrown a college pass right. because you saw things in high school, you saw things in practice, you saw things in the spring game and said, Hey, look, you know, this kid may not, this kid may not have any experience, but man, this kid's got a lot of talent. 
And that's where Notre Dame fans are right now with Tyler Buck. I mean, this was a kid who was a top 100 quarterback. I think some no, people forget was, that because sure. when he was a five-star up until his senior year, he had a bad elite 11 because he had some quarterback coach that was tinkering with his throwing motion and he was throwing like from this weird angle and he didn't play a senior year. And that kind of took some of the shine off a little bit because COVID was the reason he didn't play senior. He wasn't hurt. And so California canceled fall football in 2020. And so he just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And so he fell down the rankings a little bit, but this is still a kid who was ranked number 71 on the composite. So it's not like this is some three-star kid that Notre Dame fans are like, gee, I hope this three-star kid is really good. No, this is a really talented kid. He just now needs to show that he can show that he can be that kind of guy when the lights are bright and there will not be brighter lights that he will play in this year unless they make the college football playoff than what he's going to face Saturday night in Columbus. I would think his first experience here is, you know, whether or not Notre Dame wins the game for him and his growth. Sure. I would think this is a big game for him because he's going to see right away, you know, some level of the measuring stick, tough oh, environment yeah. on the road, a gazillion eyeballs watching you. Let's see what you got and then build sure. from there. And um, talent. He's and facing a talented yeah. team. Yeah. Sure. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Um, time for a couple more here. Let, let's uh, let's turn our attention away from quarterback. It's a heck of a lot of conversation in Ohio State circles right now about your tight end, Michael Mayer, and, and obviously the, you know, the high-level talent that he's shown. Uh, and on the defensive side, it feels like most of the conversation is revolved around Isaiah Foskey, who's obviously also a really good player. Um, Buckeye fans are certainly familiar with Brandon Joseph and his time at Northwestern. He's a really, really good safety. Outside of those three guys and away from the quarterback – who else do you think has a chance to have a really good game on Saturday that Ohio State fans should know about? Who do I think has a chance or who do I think needs to have a good game? I think that might even be the more interesting conversation if you're okay with me okay. taking it yeah. in that direction, Brandon, no, no. because they have talented players, right? Like I think there's this perception that, well, the only four guys you know of are the only four good players they have. That I don't think that's that's accurate. And, you know, I think a, defensively is the focus. I think there's a couple kids that, that I think need to, need to have a chance to have big games and are talented enough players to do so. Number one is cornerback Cam Hart. This is a converted wide receiver. He's six two and a half, two oh five, incredibly long arms. He was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He's incredibly fast. You know, there's a play last year against Florida State where Notre Dame gave up, I think it's like an 82-yard touchdown run. And Kyle Hamilton's chasing a guy. And then all of a sudden you see Cam Hart just kind of lap Kyle Hamilton as he's chasing the guy. He's a legit low 4-4 kid um, and and still learning the position last year, but really talented. Wisconsin found out you know, what kind of kind of can happen if you challenge him. He picked Wisconsin off twice, and pretty much for the rest of the year, teams just said, nah, we're not going to throw at that guy anymore. 
well, you and I both know Ohio State's not they're not throwing away from anyone. I mean, sure. the, their receiving core is good enough to where they don't have to say, oh, gee, Cam Hart's over there. Let's not go there. Or Brandon Joseph's back there. Let's not go there. They're going to say, no, I, I trust Marvin Harrison to beat, to beat anybody. I, I trust Emeka to beat anybody. I, I, I'm going to take Jackson no matter what the matchup is, right? I mean, that's that's why you recruit the way Ohio State recruits. And so, you know, a guy like Cam Hart has to really play well to either, A, number one, make Ohio State pay when they do throw at him, or B, to try to make Ohio State right-handed you know meaning you know hey look they're not going to go over here because cam's over there so let's let's try to force them into maybe a more narrow pathway of where they're going to look for the football which then allows the defensive coordinator to say okay well look they're not testing cam so we can adjust our calls and our schemes and things to try to take away theirs they're going i think that's a guy that has to play well linebacker maris lulafal is a really athletic talented player was going to be their starting little linebacker last year uh, broke his ankle in fall camp he's back and healthy now finally He's expected to have good things, but there's two defensive linemen that had very strong springs and very strong falls. One's experienced, one's not that have to play well. And that's Jason Adamiola, who's the three technique. He's always, almost always on the same side as Isaiah Foskey in the base D. And then their big end, Riley Mills. Big end is literally the name of the position. It's not that I'm calling him a big end. That's just the name of the position. Sure. Uh, the big end is Riley Mills. He's 6'5", 292, and he's an end. He's a defensive end. And they tried to play him at defensive tackle last year. He was solid, but there was a game against Virginia where Myron Tungvaloa Mosa got hurt, and so they put Riley at end where he wants to play, and he had two sacks. And so they're like, oh, okay, he, he can do that. So he's going to be there. And the reason those guys are important, Brennan, because here's the key. We're going to talk a lot about, you know, on our, on our site, the receivers and just C.J. Stroud and all these kind of things, but here's the deal. You cannot beat Ohio State, in my opinion, if they are balanced. If Travion Henderson comes out and he's going off, you almost have – the only chance you have is that if you just outscore him. And Utah showed that's much harder to do than people think. And so you've got to make them somewhat one-dimensional. That's the only way that you're going to have a chance to make enough stops to really win the football game. And I think that's something that Oregon was able to do last year. Uh, it's something that I think Michigan was able to do to a degree last year. I think a couple other times Ryan Day is the reason that Ohio State got a little bit one-dimensional. Uh, but I think that if you can force them to be one-dimensional, that's where you have a chance, you know, to 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 be in the game. Michigan State could not make Ohio State one-dimensional, and that's why they got destroyed. Purdue could not make Ohio State one-dimensional, and that's why they got destroyed. So they're going to have to show it down, and that's why Riley Mills and Jason Adamiel are going to be very, very important parts to this. I like, uh, I like that. We'll certainly keep our eye on those guys. Uh, final question is is much more big picture. It's something that's been talked a heck of a lot about uh, around the Big Ten and around Ohio State fans. I know you don't hold the keys to this decision, but um, college football looks so different now than it did a few years ago. And I can't imagine how much different it's going to continue to look here in the next few years. Obviously, the Big Ten just signed a huge new media rights deal. Um, conference expansion is, is changing the game. It sounds like even just yesterday, there was a report that, um, we could be looking at college football playoff expansion, perhaps even sooner than we thought again. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but the, the question is around Notre Dame and the big 10. I know we've talked about this off air before, but I think it's really good conversation because you've got some unique perspective. Um, why or why not will Notre Dame become a big 10 member in football at some point? And, and whether it's the Big Ten or elsewhere, what would force them to leave their independence? So the two things would have to happen for Notre Dame to join the Big Ten, in my opinion. Number one, 
the ACC has to cease to exist. And and a lot of people look at Notre Dame's partnership with the ACC and they're just like, well, it's just sports related. It's not. It is to a degree sports related. Obviously, Notre Dame wants to get a foothold in the recruiting, the rich recruiting areas that are the East Coast of the United States, and they've done very well there. But that's also you have to understand is Notre Dame, whether you like it or not, and whether you agree with it or not, and some Notre Dame fans don't, Notre Dame doesn't look at things just athletically. When you look at the ACC, it's a very different academic institution, group of institutions than the Big Ten. This isn't to say that I'm not one of those Notre Dame fans that say, oh, all the Big Ten schools except for Northwestern are crap academic institutions. You and I both know that's not true. They're different types of academic institutions. They're big, massive public schools that are research-oriented in regard to a lot of their higher rankings, right? Well, Notre Dame is an 8,000 students private school, and you look at the ACC, Duke's a private school. Miami's a private school. Even some of the public schools, like Virginia, are small. They're high academic, prestigious academic institutions. I've mentioned this before. I'm from Virginia. Virginia's a very unique state in that their their sort of elite academic institutions are public schools. It's William & Mary, which is a public school. It's the University of Virginia, which is an outstanding academic institution, public school. But they're not just elite outstanding institutions because Michigan's an elite outstanding academic institution in some regards, but they're different because they're smaller. They're more liberal arts oriented as opposed to the massive emphasis on research. That doesn't mean that Notre Dame doesn't have research and Virginia doesn't research. They do. It's just a different type of thing. Michigan state is a whole lot different than Virginia, right? Both public schools, but just completely different type of institutions, not to say one is better or worse. It's just different. And the ACC teams, Georgia tech, Virginia, Duke, Miami. Now, of course, Clemson and Florida State are the outliers. They're not really academic institutions. They're sports programs, you know, but you look at Boston College Boston and College. Sure. right schools like that, Syracuse, they're much more in line with Notre Dame institutionally than what the massive 30, 40,000 student, you know, Big Ten schools are. And, and Notre Dame takes that into account, whether you agree with it or not. And it, again, it's not sort of looking down on the Big Ten. It's just different. You know, we're, we're a different type of academic institution. And now the Big Ten will have two private schools once USC joins, but for the most part, you're still going to be a predominantly massive public school institution. And then Matt, Matt matters to Notre Dame, which is why they have the relationship with the ACC. So as long as the ACC is still around, Notre Dame, if they're forced to join a conference, would would rather go there. But if they're gone, which is possible, ESPN is trying to make that happen. Uh, I believe, then all of a sudden there is no ACC. And then now if Notre Dame is forced to join a conference, I think the Big Ten would be an an option. But the other part of it too, Brandon, is they're going to have to be locked out of the postseason. And not in the way that ESPN is saying for decades, well, you know, if they're not, if they don't have a conference championship, they're not going to have a hard time getting in. I still can't believe fans buy this. After watching what the playoff committee has done for years, including Ohio State, I mean, who was the Big Ten champ in 2016? Wasn't Ohio State, right? You know, who was the SEC champ in 2017 when Alabama won the national championship? Wasn't Alabama, right? So, uh, you know, and we've seen Notre Dame in 2015. Notre Dame climbed all the way up to number four with a loss already on their docket. They lost to Clemson earlier in the year. In 2017, they lost to Georgia in the second game of the year, climbed all the way up to number three in the the polls. This whole thing, you got to win a championship, conference championship. Notice the only people that really say that a lot are the people that host the conference championships on their TV network, right? Uh, But the committee has never put the emphasis on conference championships that the media does, right? 
And this whole notion, Notre Dame's got to be in this conference thing. The, the committee has always looked at Notre Dame favorably. I would argue last year they overrated Notre Dame in the, in the college football playoff rankings. I mean, they finished fifth despite having not a single win over a team that finished in the top 25. I mean, so there's just no evidence that Notre Dame has to go undefeated. Let's not forget that one of the two years that Notre Dame made the playoff, they lost in the conference championship game. Well, yeah, you got in with a loss because you're in a conference. Yeah, but the only reason you had a loss is because you were in a conference. You'd have been undefeated if you weren't in a conference. So there's just no evidence that Notre Dame needs to join it to get into a conference, which means it would have to be a thing where they sign a deal saying, if you're not in one of these conferences, you can't make the playoff. Or if those conferences said, hey, we're not going to play Notre Dame. Well, they're not going to do that because the conference that does that first basically forces Notre Dame into the other conference. Right. essentially, in some way, some fashion. So if the Big Ten is smart, and I think Kevin Warren is smart, he is he has been wise, if you want Notre Dame, he has been wise to take sort of the anti-Jim Delaney approach. Jim Delaney tried to bully Notre Dame in the Big Ten. And if you know anything about Notre Dame, that's like going to have the opposite effect on Notre Dame. And, and because Notre Dame is rightfully still very bitter about the fact that the Big Ten rejected them on multiple occasions back in – you know, the 50s and then even way in back when Newt Rockney was coaching because they didn't want a Catholic private school in their in, as part of their institutions. And so their name said, fine, we'll grow this thing into the, the biggest brand in college sports. And that's exactly what it is. Now you want us in your conference? That's kind of how Notre Dame looks at it, right or wrong. So Kevin Warren is who went to law school at Notre Dame. Gene Smith, who is the most powerful athletic director in the Big Ten, Notre Dame player. They understand that if you want to get Notre Dame in, you've got to kind of work with them and be kind to them and not just kick them in the face and tell them that you need us like Jim Delaney did. And so if they're smart, I think they're going to look at the at the ACC potentially folding and say, hey, look, if the ACC goes away, I kind of like that deal you have with them. Let's maybe work something out like that. You know, we're now all of Notre Dame's games are on Fox, NBC, and CBS, and they're also there with the Big Ten to where – they kind of find some partnership where, hey, we'll play five Big Ten teams a year. All of our Olympic sports will be part of the Big Ten. Hockey's already part of the Big Ten right. and has won it twice, right, in, in a short period of time. So I think that would be the best way to start with it. And then eventually maybe that leads to Notre Dame saying, hey, you know what, this is a pretty good deal. Let's go and join this thing full time. Mm -hmm. if, the, if the Big Ten is smart, if the ACC folds, they will at least leave that door open because if you try to – if it's try to be all or nothing, then then you're kidding yourself if you don't think Notre Dame would run to the SEC if the money was right. I mean, that's the reality of it. If the money was right, Notre Dame, because, again, they want to get out of them. The, the problem is, Brendan, and I'm being very long-winded here. I'll wrap it up here. The danger that Notre Dame has is kind of what happened to Penn State. Penn State was considered sort of a sort of a national program, at least a sort of an East Coast program. They were an independent team, and they won multiple national championships under, under Joe Paterno as an independent team. And then they eventually joined the Big Ten, and they've just never been quite the same program. The you know, first couple of years, they had a couple really good teams. They've never been the same. Why? Because once they became the in, joined the Big Ten, they're never going to be Ohio State. They're never going to be Michigan from a perception standpoint. They became a regional school. Notre Dame understands that joining the Big Ten sort of forces you into now you're a Midwestern team. Whereas now, even though you're in the Midwest, you're considered a national program because they can play SEC teams, ACC teams, Pac-12 teams, Big Ten teams, Big 12 teams. You join the Big Ten, then you're kind of limited to becoming a, re a regional school. And that's the thing that Notre Dame wants to try to avoid 
as best as possible. Because let's let I'll ask Ohio State fans this: Is there any chance that Notre Dame becomes the number one brand of the Big Ten if they join the Big Ten? Uh, unlikely. Okay, so then what's the attraction to joining? So if whereas if they join the SEC, will they be the brand that Alabama is? Maybe not, but they're the unicorn, and they've got their foothold in that part of the country that they know is vitally important to recruiting for football, basketball, baseball, every other sport yep. that they're trying to be good at. And so th- those things to look at, and I think Kevin Warren has, and I've got a lot of criticisms for Kevin Warren, but I think when it comes to Notre Dame, I think Kevin Warren and Gene Smith so far have taken a really smart stance in regard to wooing Notre Dame instead of trying to badger them into joining the conference the way that Jim Delaney did. I, uh, it's, it's why I wanted to ask you the question, because I think that's a really intelligent response and, and well-thought-out approach. Um, that a lot of folks maybe haven't considered. Um, the only thing I would say to, to maybe piggyback off that is that with the Big Ten expanding, you know, I, I don't know what the potential is for the Big Ten moving into markets like Charlotte uh, or like Miami or trying to woo the Florida states of the world um, as they've looked for bigger media markets. Um, but Notre Dame and the Big Ten could still have that national footprint because of the way the conference is currently set up in the sure. Big Ten. Um, I just yeah, think I mean, it's like if Virginia and North Carolina and schools like that join, sure, sure. But yeah. that's not where we're at right now. It's certainly yeah. not where we're at right now, but mm-hmm. uh, college football has been changing rapidly. Oh, yeah. So who knows? And and I, yeah. I don't know how, what the future looks like, but um, I have a hard time believing that Notre Dame is going to leave its independence unless they can't compete for a championship right. or can't put a schedule together. Jack Swarbrick's flat out said that. I mean, and that's what we also hear from sources behind the scenes as well. Now, they are also willing to listen. Look, if the here's the other, let's be honest about this. If the money's good enough, then sure. But a hundred million dollars when Notre Dame could get 60 on their own isn't good enough for Notre Dame. And people say that's 40 million dollars a year. Yeah, but Notre Dame operates differently. Like they're they're, they have 8,000 school, right? 8,000 student school which means they have an 8,000 student staff, right? Not a 40,000 student staff. They're yeah. operating budgets way different. They're in a different unit. And this is the whole thing you have to understand. Again, $60 million can go a lot long, a lot further for an 8,000 student body and 8,000 staff than $100 million can go to a school that's got 40,000 students and a 40,000 student staff, right? And all the other things go along with that as a public institution. So that's the thing is, you know, Notre Dame right now is making 25, 26.2 million dollars on their T, their two TV deals, NBC and then ESPN with the ACC. If they're getting 60 million dollars, that's a huge bonus for them. Plus their their uh, apparel deal is going to come up here in the next year and a half, which is also going to have a big impact on it as well, because they're going to get a huge boost from that also. Brian Driscoll, Irish Breakdown. He is the man when it comes to all things uh, Notre Dame football and Notre Dame's athletics. We really appreciate your time. I, I've always considered you a friend, and I love your perspective, man. I'm glad to have you uh, share a little bit of this. It's it's going to be a fun game on Saturday. I'm not going to ask you publicly to put out a score prediction. I'm not I'm not going to yeah, do that. We'll yeah. do that on Friday. We'll do that on Friday. We'll coming up this week, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at Ohio Stadium on uh, on Saturday. Uh, real quick, why don't you tell people where they can follow uh, follow your work and, and get caught up on Notre Dame stuff before the weekend? 
try to make it as easy as possible. Irishbreakdown.com is where you can all find find all of our written content. You can also find our YouTube channel, which is Irish Breakdown. Uh, if you type in Irish Breakdown on all of your podcast apps, you'll pro- you'll find us there on all of those as well. And you can check out, uh, Brandon, we try to make it as easy as possible. We're going to get ourselves on as many platforms as possible, many different types of p- content packages as possible. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at CoachD178. I don't engage a lot on Twitter, but I do put all of my articles. I put all of our, our podcast links and things like that on there as well. So you can try to find me in any of those places. Good. Good to hear. Uh, good to know. All right. We'll look forward to seeing you this weekend. Thanks for spending some time with us and um, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully what will be a fun game on Saturday night. Thanks for having me on. All right. Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown, our guest. This is uh, Behind Enemy Lines. We'll try to do this every week, give you a perspective on who the Buckeyes are going to play on a weekly basis. I'm Brendan Gulick. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again real soon. You can follow our stuff, BuckeyesNow.com, as well as our social media channels, BuckeyesNowSI, and uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, for more content just like this. Have a great day, everybody. Go Bucks. We'll see you again here real soon.